Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm Diana Clark, and today's episode is with Jennifer Risher, the author and philanthropist, I would say, at this particular juncture in her life. But she has written a book called We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth, about her transition and her experience starting out in one socioeconomic group and transitioning into another and what that was like for her. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you. So let's start. I read the book. I loved the book. I read through the whole book, which is unusual for me, I will confess. Um, and I would love to start with, if you could do just a few minutes of narrative about what your upbringing was and where you are today and how rapidly that shift transferred. Yeah, you know, I, I got really lucky. Um, well, I was born lucky because I was born into a stable family. Um, I had access to a good education. But, you know, I grew up sort of, you know, with middle class values, uh, saving my pennies, a little bit wary of the rich. And then, you know, when I was 25, I joined Microsoft. And that's where I met my husband. That was a piece of luck number one. And I got stock that ended up being worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and then six years later, when David and I were married and expecting our first child, he took this job at an, a small, unknown startup that was selling books on the internet called Amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs> we were in our early 30s. The company went public and suddenly we had more money than we could really wrap our heads around. And, you know, I want to say up front, you know, money makes life easier. I am very fortunate. But that wealth surprised me. I quickly learned that having a lot of money doesn't look or feel like what Hollywood had always sold me. I felt this impact um, as a human being, as a person that, that you know, I didn't expect. It, it impacted my identity. Um, my, my relationships, my sense of place in the world. And, you know, we have such a narrow view of wealth in our country. We see the Kardashians and the Real Housewives, and we know about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, but we're just getting a small sliver of, of the reality of wealth because most people with a lot of money are so much more diverse and so much more ordinary than what we see or believe. And in fact, eight out of 10 people with wealth grew up middle class or poor. And we're not talking to each other about the impact that I felt as a parent. You know, were we gonna spoil our kids? I felt it as a sister. Was my brother really resentful? I felt it as a friend. 
people started to look at me differently. And as a daughter, you know, it was painful to feel my parents disapproved of what we had. So, you know, normally in, in my life anyway, I, I you know, have a problem and I talk to my friends. Um, you know, if I want to figure out, should our 16-year-old have a, have a curfew, I talk to everyone I know. It's sort of how I get my, my it's like how I do my research. I get ideas, I hear advice, um, and just talking is helpful because it lets me know my problem is normal, that it's, that it's valid, that it's shared, but the same doesn't happen with money. And I certainly didn't feel like I could talk to people about having a lot of it. So that's interesting. It used to be that we couldn't talk about sex, we couldn't talk about religion, and we couldn't talk about money. We talk about sex as a culture much more broadly than we ever used to. We're getting comfortable with that. We're discussing more in the way of religion. But you're right. The conversation about money creates much more anxiety for people than I would have anticipated before I worked with a population that really had to make real decisions and relationship decisions constantly about what they will and will not support without the benefit of saying, I can't afford that. That is a benefit. To be able to say, no, it's simply not within my budget can be a gift when you're asked by children, when you're asked by friends, when you're asked by colleagues even to invest. So can you give us one example of a request that was made to you that got really uncomfortable for you because you didn't have that particular excuse? There are so many. I mean, I, I in some ways, yeah, it's easier to just have that excuse and, and um, the same note, I was very lucky that I don't have it because it, it opens up my world in some ways. Um, but when I think about the excuse, you know, a parent can give a child as to why they can't buy that toy, um, we just can't afford it. I also think it's very fair to say, no, we're not going to buy that toy because that's not our values. Um, you know, and, and to talk about values, I think it, it does force, um, it has forced me to really look at my values and figure out, who, what I care about, who I am, you know, what my values are so that I can say, you know, it's more important to us, you know, to, to you know, that toy, for example, is, is not, you know, you don't need more stuff. And, and that just is, is the reason that we're not buying it. It, it just makes, I think it, it, it kind of opens up the, the conversation about, you know, what, what is important. Um, I've had other uh, difficult, situations where people have asked me for money and you know we kind of we've learned the hard way that that you know loaning people money is not a good idea um, and saying no is sometimes very difficult because you know you always want to help people in need and friends in need but sometimes the best thing for both parties is to say to say no no excuse. Or to say, I think you can figure that out without my financial assistance. Yeah. And it might be better for you to do that because if you, you know, that that's really ultimately kind of what will help you most is so that you can figure it out for yourself and not, you know, just rely on me. I know. 
That's a tough one, though. It is a tough one. You describe in your book that wealth can be a truth serum. Can you extrapolate a little bit on what that meant? Yeah, you know, when I was, I don't know how many of your in your audience are, have had this kind of fantasy of like, well, if I had a million dollars, you know, I, when I was growing up, I, my best friend and I in high, in high school were like, what would we do if we had a million dollars? Um, and, you know, at the time I wanted a cute boyfriend and a fancy car, but there was this idea that if I had all that money, my life would be perfect. And I think we often do this to ourselves thinking, if only then, you know, and we do it around money a lot. We do it around other things. If only I lost 20 pounds, then my life would be perfect. Or if only I met the right person, then my life would be perfect. But, but around money, there's this huge fantasy that, that it solves all problems, but it doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, I'm still me. I had this if only fantasy happen and I still have insecurities. My feelings still get hurt. I make mistakes. And of course, you know, when I used to tell myself, oh, money can't buy happiness, sort of secretly thinking that it just might. But right. now that I've experienced it, I recognize that, no, we are human beings. We have emotions. Our relationships are still existing. They're still complex. So I think I've lost your question exactly what you had, had asked, but I, I No, I think, I think you gave me a very full answer. You gave me a very full answer. So we talk about money making things easier. That's a given that we know that you, you have access to care that you wouldn't necessarily have. You might have access to education. You might have access to um, experiences that people with less resources would have. That said, how does it complicate life? It's got to be extraordinary wealth complicates everything, I would think. The decision-making, how do you invest it? How do you get advice to invest it? How do you navigate your own relationship to wealth? It must have been complicating for a period of time anyway. The complication was more emotional than I might have expected. I mean, you can it's easy to talk about the complication of, oh, I have two homes or three homes. I mean, that's not the bigger issue to me. Mm -hmm. It's the complication that happens um, within families, between close friends. And it's a complication that I think can be avoided if we were more open and talking about the emotions that money brings up, because it's a very emotional topic. And we all have a lot of emotions around money. I mean, we all have a money story and our money story starts in our childhood. It's where we learn our habits and beliefs about money. And we carry that around with us. And I mean, even as I think of, of advisors listening to this podcast, I mean, you all have your own money story. And I'm hoping that, you know, through reading my book, you could kind of get some insight into your clients. But I think it's also insight that you can get into yourself as well. And, and the more aware you are of your money story, the better it is to have relationship, you know, you, you can then have a stronger relationship with your clients. Because ultimately, I think that's that's the goal is to to have that strong relationship with clients and make sure that you're, you know, able to communicate and understand 
all the issues. So you talk about the complexities and I think the best way to kind of describe them is to share some stories with you um, about great. where these these complexities happen and it's it's in relationship and it's in the avoidance of talking about money that they happen. Um, and it happens at all levels. I, I'm thinking about a, a friend of mine who is middle class and she told me how she and her husband drove the same car for many, many years. And she said, you know, when that thing finally broke down, I bought an Audi Q5. And she'd always wanted that car. She was, loved the car. She's very excited about it. But then when she was thinking about visiting her sister and driving up in the car, she started to worry about being judged. In her mind, she could hear her sister saying, ooh, aren't we fancy? And then in her mind, she started to justify the car. Well, it was used, it wasn't that expensive. So even before she saw her sister, she was making assumptions and telling herself stories. What if she'd actually talked to her sister? I think we often make assumptions and, and tell ourselves stories. And when we don't talk about something, it tends to loom large and take on a life of its own. And when we don't talk about money, it gives money so much power. Um, another story, and this is one that happened for me with my brother. So I have a brother who is two years younger. And when he graduated from college, he went into the Peace Corps. And then he got a master's in Spanish and became a high school Spanish teacher. And this is many years ago. He, he, was, he wanted to buy a house. And my husband and I, David and I, offered him $20,000 towards the down payment, but he refused our gift. He said he wanted to live within his own means. And at this time, his refusal hurt my feelings. I felt like he was looking down at me and looking down at our money and, and it hurt, but I didn't say anything. And that's where the complexity starts to happen. I didn't, didn't acknowledge with him or talk with him about what I was going through or what I was feeling. And then many, well, several years later, he got married and David and I sent a check as a wedding gift and, and he thanked us. And then when his first child was born, we again sent money and he and his wife thanked us. And we began to send money every year. Um, but over the course of, of many years, um, he stopped acknowledging our gifts. I'd write a check in December and it was like the money was disappearing into a void and I didn't hear anything. And I began to feel resentful. I felt taken for granted, but I didn't say anything. And I think that was a problem. Instead, I told myself stories. I, I, I kind of, I thought, well, he's embarrassed or, oh, he thinks we just have so much money that it doesn't mean anything to us to be giving these gifts. So I was making excuses for him in my mind. And then, and I'm not proud to admit this, just a couple years ago, I just, I just didn't send a check. And um, later when my brother and I were communicating over email, at the end of one of his notes, he said, uh, wondering if a certain year end check is just late in the mail, is it? And I read that note and I, I was mad. And I just thought, wow, we need to talk 
And yet it's very uncomfortable, even for me. And I'd been writing about this um, wealth and talking and the importance. And it's uncomfortable. We don't have experience talking about money. And we, I think we need to give ourselves permission to fumble around and get it wrong. And I really had to sit down and think about what I wanted to say. And then when my brother and I got on the phone, you know, I just told him, I, my feelings are really hurt that you haven't thanked us for our gifts. And, and he apologized right away. He said he hadn't realized that he thought it was easier for me if he didn't make a big deal of the money which I completely understand given how we grew up. And then we began to talk, you know, and then as two people who love and trust each other, we could put money in its place, not as something bigger than the two of us, but as a tool that then we could talk about. So he said, you know, I don't need this money, but I really appreciate it. And I'd never asked, and I said, I don't care what you're doing with the money, but, but what are you doing with the money? I, I want to know. I want to be part of your life. So the, the fact that we could have that conversation was so much, it brought me so much sense of relief. It, it brought me connection. And I believe sure. that, you know, the more we can really address these issues that come up around money, whether it's something kind of hanging over your head with an uncle or a sister, if we can address it, I think we'd be so much better off. We'd feel more connected. And it's a chance to learn too. I mean, instead of avoiding that, that awkward money moment that comes up, you know, step right. into it. Acknowledge that it's not comfortable talking about this, but, but maybe you could learn from your friend. You know, why isn't she, you know, why is she kind of worried about going to a certain restaurant? I mean, well, there's so many issues that, that we kind of think we know, but we don't really know until we talk to each other. And I think we're a lot more alike than different. And it's often about fear. Um, we're afraid of, of hurting someone's feelings or not measuring up or, or being rejected. But when we can kind of get through that, um, there's a real chance at intimacy and, and learning authenticity with conversations about money. What's your first go-to line when you think about, let's imagine I had to have a conversation with somebody that was an awkward financial moment. How do you start the conversation? You know, I, I've thought a lot about this and I think there's sort of some steps you can take when you want to have one of those conversations. And I think it needs to start with you looking at yourself and figuring out what feelings are coming up for you. Um, and, and it could be any situation. I was thinking before of like, you know, let's say your friend, you have a friend who always wants to go to an expensive restaurant that really you can't afford and, and you just, it's awkward. Or, or let's say your daughter is buying this handbag that doesn't fit her budget or your values. Or let's say your your in-laws give money to your spouse's siblings' families, but they don't give any to yours. Instead of avoiding these situations, I think you start by by figuring out what do I feel. So so in this in the case of like this friend who always wants to go to expensive restaurants, what do I feel? Well, am I resentful? No, it's not that. You know, I, I guess I feel ashamed that I can't afford those restaurants and I'm, I'm have a good job, I, but I'm feeling shame around this. So recognize the feeling 
and then set up a time that's that's emotionally neutral so that you can have a conversation and then three this is i think the most important part is acknowledge it acknowledge up front that you know i want to have this conversation i'm nervous about it it's uncomfortable for me it's going to be possibly awkward for you we, you know we don't have experience talking about money but i want to i want to try it let's let's see how it, how it goes it might be messy um, and then give each other permission to to talk uninterrupted maybe and and it's interesting what you'll learn i think so for example with the, the situation of a friend kind of always wanting to go to these expensive restaurants you could say you know i feel kind of ashamed i can't i can't really afford those restaurants and and then you share that and who knows what your friend will say maybe she says hey i didn't know it's on me i want to go to this great place and and i'm paying or maybe she says oh i had no idea my i want to spend time with you i don't care where we eat you know let's go get a burger um, or maybe she says oh wow thank you so much for sharing this i really can't afford those restaurants either i'm in a lot of debt and and it opens up a conversation which i think step five is just showing your gratitude for having having an authentic conversation about your feelings around money so i'm really getting from you in this conversation that human authenticity connection and intimacy is by far the most valuable thing that in your life and that you do not want wealth to be a barrier to those absolutely and i think it can be wealth can be isolating it can create distance it can it's easy to other people and you know you you kind of think the association between happiness and money and what is that and and yes you know every dollar can make you happier if you're struggling if you're struggling to get by, every dollar does bring more happiness because you, you can kind of get, get the needs, your needs met. But once your needs are met and kind of comfort has been achieved and you can take a vacation, um, happiness plateaus. And this is, you know, very well-known research out of um, Princeton University from 2010 sort of said it at $75,000 a year. And maybe that number is a little higher now, but the concept remains at a certain level your happiness doesn't increase. You can you can make twice as much, you can have 10 times as much, 100 times as much, and your happiness doesn't increase by, you know, it just doesn't because it's not the money that makes us happy. I mean, there's research that shows kind of the way we think about or spend our money can make, bring more or less happiness if we spend it on experiences versus on, on things, maybe it makes us happier. Or if we spend on other people versus ourselves, maybe that brings more happiness. But most research will tell you, and I can tell you from firsthand experience that really what brings happiness is the quality of our relationships with other people. And, you know, we all want to be seen and understood and feel connected to those in our family and to a community. And yes, that is where happiness exists. Yeah, that's beautiful. How do you impart this wisdom to children? How do you teach well, them that? Yeah. I think they experience it. And um, yeah, I think one of the questions I get so often from other 
families who are concerned. I mean, no one wants to raise a spoiled child or, or you know, they worry about how, you know, money can, can kind of influence kids. But I think kids learn from, and they learn about what, what the happiness is and what, what feels good by, by being part of your family and by you living your own values. I think it really comes down to if you're walking through the world in a way that feels comfortable to you, your kids are watching you. They hear what you talk about. They see what you value. They see where you're spending your time. And um, I don't think, I, I spent a lot of time worrying about spoiling our kids and I wish I hadn't worried about it for so long because ultimately it's not money that spoils kids, it's, it's people and it, 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 at any level of wealth or, or, or lack thereof. It really comes down to values and living your values and having your kids experience you in the world and, and they'll follow, they, they will, you are leading by example. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Jennifer Risher. Do you have anything else you'd like to add for our listeners today before I do my sign off? Oh, thank you. Um, I, I want to encourage people to, you know, think think about their own money story. And I think when I think of, you know, advisors thinking about kind of examining their own relationship with money so that they can have stronger relationships with clients who also have their own relationship with money. Um, and I think my book is a, is a useful tool for this, um, not only because it just shares my story, um, because I believe we all learn from each other's stories. Um, so I'm offering up this story. It's not prescriptive. I'm not going to tell people how to do rich right. I'm simply offering my story up um, as a way to help other people understand their own stories. Um, and then I've also included um, questions in, to, at the end of every chapter that kind of help provoke thinking and conversation that can be used as prompts. So I love the idea of reading the book, you know, with a sister or with your parent. And then it, it offers a way to enter into those conversations. You take one of the questions at the end of a chapter and, and discuss it with each other. And I think that can bring up a lot of um, useful conversation. That's great. So it's a good read and a good tool. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, audience. You have been on Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Please like us on your platform of choice if you've enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to seeing and talking next. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.